impact of COVID-19. We all knew this was going to be a tough time. We need to wrap our minds around a painful truth. We're in the early stages of what is going to become a series of cascading crises. This is the way it's going to be. Getting back to uh, the extraordinarily successful country and economy that we've had, uh, that we've built over so many generations. However long it takes. Welcome back to A New Normal, Startwell's podcast featuring entrepreneurs and innovators across our country who are dealing with post-pandemic realities. My name is Kasim Virgi. I'm Startwell's founder and CEO. And for this, the third episode in the series, we sat down with Tarun Nair, who wears a bunch of hats within the music industry. He's the executive director of the 5X Festival, which is Canada's largest South Asian youth event as well as a co-founder of indie record label Snakes and Ladders, plus has been part of a band uh, loved across the country and all over the world called Delhi to Dublin for about 15 years. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the last month or so has completely devastated the music industry. <laughs> uh, so I do a number of things these days. I run a festival called 5X, which is the largest South Asian youth event, like sort of millennial event in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, I run a record label called Snakes and Ladders. Uh, I manage a few artists. And technically, I'm still in a touring band, but, uh, you know, there's not a lot of touring happening right now. We were actually, uh, I, I shouldn't say it publicly, but we are, you know, I would say like in the twilight of our band, uh, experience and this was going to be sort of you know one of our last big tours this summer we had a bunch of festivals planned and stuff but um how many years have it been though with delhi to dublin it's been quite 15 15 years yeah 15 years hundred thousand albums sold uh like almost two thousand gigs um so yeah a lot of a lot of touring and a few years ago um, one of my friends who ran a festival in Vancouver sort of reached out and was like, yo, we need some help, you know, and I had worked on and off with this festival, the VABC festival for, for years doing some programming and stuff. And so that eventually turned into me artistic directing the festival and then rebranding the festival entirely as like more of a South Asian millennial festival and then taking over executive director position. And now I'm buying the brand off of the festival. Um, so yeah, it's been, I think, you know, in essence, I'm, I'm involved in the music industry <laughs> from like touring to promoting to managing to releasing records and stuff. I think you kind of have to be, um, you know, very diversified, uh, it feels. And I'm just so interested in everything. Like I still love, you know, sitting right in front of my modular synthesizer, yeah. which I, you know, mess around with constantly. I just fascinated by the business of it and fascinated by the creative process. And also I think most recently over the last couple of years fascinated with uh, how do we help young South Asian artists increase their impact? Because I just see, you know, there's this kind of um, renaissance, like a rebel creative revolution happening with like, you know, 16 to 25 year old South Asians. There's so much content being generated and so many dope acts. And I think everyone kind of knows that that's going to bubble over into mainstream culture and we're going to start to see South Asian music doing well. We have enough precedent set with like Lily Singh and, you know, Mindy Kaling and Hasan Minaj. People are used to like 
seeing brown people on TV now, which is amazing. Yeah. And they're not just caricatures. Uh, there's actually like some real characters in movies and film. Um, but the, the challenge that I think still faces a lot of young South Asians is that there's just no one, you know, they're sort of locked out of the industry as it were, you know, they can like recently Delhi to Dublin signed uh, a deal with Warner to release our last album. Uh, and there are those, there are those examples of working within it. There's like the Navs and the Ravinas of the world, you know, where they're like making mainstream progress, but that's, I would say that's few and far between. And for the most part, uh, people are signing really shitty deals to, you know, Indian record labels and giving away all the rights mm-hmm. the or their say it again. The classic story, just people basically trying yeah. anything they can as artists to get themselves yeah. out there when they yeah. don't necessarily how to do it themselves, right? Yeah, and and also I think that Indian record labels in particular are just vam- vampiric in their attitudes. They, you know, no, no, so many young artists don't really know their rights at all, and so they end up not only signing away everything to these labels after they've made the music themselves. They'll mm-hmm. make the music, pay the producer, make the song, go to T-Series or Speed, T-Series will be like, this is what it will take. People are like, yeah, sure, I'm going to get my million views. They'll actually pay T-Series and Speed, you know, a fee in addition to like giving them all of the rights to their music, both master and publishing. Uh, And so they're effectively just paying. And then T-Series goes and buys a bunch of views on YouTube and gets them their million plays. And so for, you know, a day and a half, they get to celebrate their moment in the sun of showing their friends that they had a million views, but there's like zero sustainability to that because it's all fake. Right. And they have no ownership over their content. And so um, I've been sort of working on, you know, both audience development via the festival and also uh, building a structure, a label where, you know, for some musicians who we really believe in, we can like throw not just the, it's not just releasing music. It's also like brand partnerships, storytelling, data analysis, like retargeting, you know, like building teams around artists that we think are sort of the future. Yeah. There's a whole like angle of, of playing this kind of, uh, I guess kind of like a digital agency, you have to almost have this marketing facet built into yep. the product rollout, right? As yep. well as the artist development, I guess, to anticipate yep. campaigns and projects coming down the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I've noticed is rather than be sort of traditional about it and be like, you know, I guess as an artist, I was always frustrated by these deals where you sign a manager on and they get a sunset clause and they're sort of like the deals are so stacked in the favor of the labels and the managers and the promoters where it's always the artist assuming the risk. And if the manager doesn't do a good job, you're stuck still paying them out years after you get out of the contract with them. Uh, I believe that if you're a manager, you know, this is somewhat controversial, but if you're a manager, like as soon as you stop doing a good job, your artist should be able to fire you. And if a better manager comes along and is doing a better job than you, and you haven't maintained your relationship with the artist, the artist should be able to fire you just like you can fire somebody at your, I mean, maybe give them a month, but you don't get five years sunset on that. And so I guess Snakes and Ladders especially was, was founded on the, this idea that we can find a better way to release music where the record label, record label, we're not really a record label, you know, this digital media company can help you release music, can find brand partnerships and stuff, but doesn't own anything. It's just there as a support. Um, because yes, I'm, I'm just so sick of seeing people get ripped off. <laughs> it's been going on forever. I mean, this is when I got out of the music industry 2007 8 9 it was like it just became depressing dealing with sadness every day that like i couldn't i couldn't do it anymore right yeah yeah i just stare at a screen and code all day that was my yeah (laughs) 
it definitely does take a certain amount of pig-headedness and stubbornness to keep on going yeah well it's interesting because you've been on the road too for for that 15 years that you've been with delhi to dublin right yeah um in vans and in motels and toughing it out yeah grinding yeah which is actually becoming rarer and rarer really you know the new model is kind of you know give everything you got uh you know on the sort of streaming side of things and when you start to see traction then you start to book tours whereas in the old days it was like get out on the road grind it build up an audience and then you'll start to see cd sales so it's almost flipped the way that it's worked i think it makes a lot more sense to do it this way but i guess the challenge is everyone is releasing music because it's so easy to make songs now you can there's so many tools to easily make music so it is a little harder to you know rise like uh, you know separate the, the wheat from the chaff uh, especially since um, the the majors still really own 99% of the streaming game. So if you are independent, uh, you're kind of, you know, it's it's a challenge. <laughs> Isn't that, I would have thought the, the effect of the kind of major record labels these days would be less in that, um, the liberal, like just the liberalization of being able to publish these days and the independent means people have to promote their music is greater, but apparently not. It's, it's no, I mean, it's still, I would say like one of the beautiful things is that you, you do see examples of people like chance, the rapper, um, you know, who, who have been able to sort of claw their way up just through sheer talent and, and, um, tenacity. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the democratization of music in the digital sphere, um, hasn't really changed a lot because it's, it's the major labels are really the main stakeholders in all of the DSPs. Uh, so, you know, Spotify is, you know, the major labels are st still own a huge chunk of Spotify. Um, so there's so many. So Spotify, I have to ask you about this. I've been wondering about this for a while. Spotify, mm -hmm. since I remember it coming out, okay. The first few years was kind of like, Oh man, there's this like Scandinavian, I think that's yeah. app that's like, getting all this music and artists had this backlash because they were like, they're not paying anything for it and this is illegal and it's another Napster. And then it just kind of like took off because I guess the customer uh, want was so large that they're yeah. ostensibly licensing tracks on a almost 0% in royalty. Yeah. Um, so what's, and yet it's become, the, it's become the de facto means of listening to yeah. music for most people around the world. So is it just about, is publishing these days and getting your stuff on platforms like that primarily just about uh, connecting with audiences? In terms of what's in it for the artist? Yeah, like do artists make money from releasing uh, content just from like the, the listening side of it anymore or? I mean, yes, some people do, but uh, you're, it's very hard to make a living off of that. You have to be extremely strategic. And I think that the key thing is like, what have you given away in the process? You know, if you've signed to a label, then they may be taking you know, 50 to 75 to 80% to 90% of everything that you're making on those like, you know, 0 0.005 cents per stream. Um, so you have to, you know, depending on your deal, you have to be doing like, even if you own 100% of your stuff and you're independently releasing it, you have to be doing major numbers. Like, you know, you have to be doing like, like 50,000 to 100,000 plus streams a week. Uh, on your catalog to, to make, a, you know, the same amount as like a kindergarten teacher. Um, wow. So, you know, you have to be doing numbers, to, but the idea is just like, um, 
you know, just like in other industries, there, there is a lost leader kind of a vibe at the moment to streaming. So I think that most people, including myself, like if we get those numbers, we know that it will open up other opportunities. And right. so thinking, I think you have to sort of shift these days, whether it's good or bad, you kind of have to see streaming as like a business card, like your music that you're making is a business card because the real revenue is for most people is not going to be made in streaming. It's going to be made when North face decides to, you know, sponsor your band because like, that's the thing with a lot of brands right now, they're not looking as much for sponsoring. I mean, they still do to some degree like festivals and events. They want to sponsor influencers because they've, you know, creators because they've realized that that's where, you know, having a bunch of engaged creators is way better than having your logo on, you know, banner at a festival right. for the most part, you're going to get way more engagement and reach and traction and stuff. So I would say that it, yeah, it's, it continues to morph. Um, but not a ton of artists that I know are making a living off of. Off of yeah. It's, it's, it's like, uh, it would be like the gravy, you know, it would be like, Oh, that's nice. It's nice to get 10,000 bucks at the end of the year, but you know, very few people are making a hundred thousand bucks a year on it. Very few. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and I guess question just to pick your brains on this. So what about, um, what about the talk that you hear of vinyl coming back and people through fixed media or, or physical media, uh, making money on, on record sales that way? Yeah. I mean, records, uh, for like, I don't know, the last like three or four years in a row globally, uh, vinyl has been, has been, you know, showing like a comeback, but I don't think anyone expects that it would ever, you know, be like a huge source of income. It's still like making a comeback from virtually nothing. Right. <laughs> so numbers are rising, but it's like, you know, just like, like tiny infinitesimally small part of the market worldwide. So, how has, I guess you guys had a festival coming up this summer, right? Is it yeah. still uh, tentatively going to happen? Uh, it will. Uh, we're actually, we have PR coming out this week, like a whole launch thing. It will, but it's going to happen in a totally different way than, you know, than it ever has. Okay. And, uh, and it's not, we're not doing the like online festival thing that you know that everyone is doing like it seems like oh my god every time i open up instagram these days it's like there's some online festival happening oh my god everything's live all the time yeah all the time it's like it's like everyone's live just like 24 hours a day yeah uh, which i actually think is freaking great but we've decided to go with a different model when i was in uh, i lead a trade mission on behalf of the bc government to india um and we just finished our last one in december and so I was there with like, you know, a bunch of delegates meeting different companies. And I met someone uh, who runs a fan engagement app in Bombay. And actually we got on so well that we decided to start working together. And so before the COVID thing started, I had been diving deep into this idea of off season fan engagement. And this app was used by Manchester city um, soccer team last year in their off season to like do stuff. So it was sort of, it had been done um, mostly in the sort of fitness space, but we were like, oh, we could reimagine this and totally do it in the music space or the festival space. And so we are launching that, uh, at least launching the PR campaign around that this week. Um, and we just finished going through all the like, you know, UI and UX changes and everything. And uh, so that's super exciting. And uh, it will not large gatherings in, in person um, as soon as I get off this call with you, I'm on another call with like all the different festivals from across Canada and it's pretty, it's, it's accepted that, uh, large gatherings will not be happening in 2020. Yeah. 
We, we may get away with like a 50 person event by November or something, you know, maybe if you're like way up North or something and there's no danger of COVID up there, right. but yeah, multi thousand person festivals are not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. We're seeing it. I mean, here uh, at our venue event or venues, we've got like two spaces that are probably going to turn into office space mm. you know, as, as an off season revenue creation. Yeah. Uh, backup plan because our, our spaces, they're smaller, intimate spaces, but like, I guess that's even more of a problem uh, optically for people in the next few months. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's funny to think that, uh, that this has happened to the industry, but, uh, but you've got to kind of like, you know, still repurpose space and keep moving forward. And, and it yeah. sounds like this app is, is interesting because the big question, of course, that, that this whole COVID thing and people staying at home and being primarily connecting online has really pushed is, you know, given that it's 2020, do we really rely on communication technology to reinterpret how we communicate? And I think uh, it's not really, there's no answer. So any innovations in this space are, are kind of interesting because they're timely. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've been fascinated watching how people have used tools that already, that, that, you know, predated COVID, but in really new and interesting ways. I was watching one of my friends was like, yo, dude, you got to check out United Masters, which is a sort of distributor, distribution company, mm-hmm. similar to CD Baby or TuneCore or whatever. Yeah. Um, CD Baby's yeah. still around? Yep. Wow. Yep. They're still one of the biggest distributors of independent music. I get some money from, on, you know, like through some old PayPal account from CD Baby once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're still around, man. Nice. Uh, so I, I was like, my friends like you got to check out these uh, open mics that they're doing on United Masters. So I checked out the open mic and we then started doing them as a festival. And the concept is that you have someone go on as your festival, you know, on your festival Instagram account, they go live and uh, then people request to join uh, your live. So to like, you know, co-host the live or whatever. And every person that requests to join gets three minutes to do something. Uh, And so we started this like an open mic, except instead of having 15 minutes, you get one song. Uh, and we started this a few weeks ago and, you know, I, I phoned some friends and was like, yeah, it's our first time, you know, can you join in? And so I phoned up Rupi Kaur, who's from Toronto, uh, Brampton, the poet. And I was like, yo, can you jump on and just like say hi and sort of inaugurate the thing? And she was like, yeah. And so she did it. And we had Ankur Tewari last week from Gully Boy, um, who did all the music for Gully Boy. And we've had a bunch of artists from California. And, and so now we're at a point where, um, we have artists that are tapping in from, we had like Australia, California, India, um, somewhere in Singapore uh, this past year that tap in and give a song um, for, you know, so it's, it's a very like non-localized open mic all of a sudden, um, which is super exciting. And this is just Instagram live that we've all had forever. Um, but people finding, you know, new ways. And the other thing that we're doing with, um, so we started doing these uh, Friday night and Saturday night Twitch parties, you know, and we got like, you know, all the green screen shit and made a studio in Surrey with all the stuff. And so we can have different artists come in and swab everything down afterwards and, you know, do sets on Friday and Saturday nights. And this past Saturday, we tried that group zoom call thing concurrently with the Twitch stream. Okay. And it was just totally like, let's try, see yeah. what happens. Yeah. And it went apeshit. Like people, it turned into a virtual dance battle where the person that was sort of controlling the Zoom call, we broadcast the Zoom call on the green screen in back of the DJ. So you could see everyone dancing oh, cool. behind, almost like boiler room style behind. 
And then we would flip through the different, you know, rooms. And it was like, you know, the beautiful thing about multi-generational South Asian families is that you'll have like the dads and the kids and the dogs and like everyone's partying together and people are all drinking together. And so you go from house to house and it would be like, you get 15 seconds, show us your best dance moves. And so we're scrolling through these houses and everyone was like practicing the routines. And we ended up going like two hours over because it was so lit. Uh, and this is a Zoom call and a Twitch, you know, what was formerly used to stream like Video. live gaming. Yeah, totally. So it's, it's amazing to see these add up. I just, I, I trip out on it. I love it. You know, yeah. That's awesome. And it's true. Like mashing up the different perspectives into one media form uh, has so many creative potentials to explore. Yeah. And like, I think that the interesting thing too about this whole live phenomenon is that people are, I guess, they're kind of, they, they want to like participate and they know that they can, but um, there's something special about like knowing that it's live. And what's interesting for me yeah. is that we've always, or until maybe in the last few years, thought of live media as being something that's a mass media. Uh, it wasn't personal. It's only now becoming personal where people are, aren't anticipating a movement surrounding the event. So anything could be an event which is again, coming back to like a lot of the ethos we spread here at Startwell about people meeting for, for business purpose and how that could be so serendipitous and, and help their companies at any given moment. Yeah. Um, same thing. It's like localized events are, are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, speaking of that on a very small scale, uh, a few weeks ago I was, you know, so balance has is, is always been a big part of my life. And the reason that I survived 15 years on the road is because I have a daily practice, like a, you know, 15 to 20 minute practice, which sort of keeps me stable in the morning. Yeah. And when COVID started, I was like, okay, what can I do? I'm not going to save anyone's life because I'm not a doctor. I'm a freaking musician. So I can like continue writing songs and supporting live music. That's fine. Um, but I was like, well, I can also, you know, I also meditate every morning. So maybe I'll throw it out to the community. You know, I have like obviously lots of musicians and, you know, younger South Asians that are, that are associated with things that I do. So I kind of put out something saying, Hey, I'm going to meditate every morning at eight 30. Uh, and you can join. Mm. And I've been doing it for the last like five weeks, uh, every morning at eight 30, eight 30 Pacific standard time. And we'll have like 10 to 20 people just join in every morning. And there's nothing, you know, there's no like event poster. There's no, it's just a little local group of people um, that are getting together. My mom and my dad join, my sisters join. So it's like all people I know. It's not right. like, uh, but, but we're using Instagram live to do it. It's fascinating. So it's public. It's public. Yeah. Anyone can join. It tends to be people that, that I know. <laughs> I don't have like 50,000 followers where there's like tons <laughs> of, tons of people on there that I'm like, who are you? You know? Just waiting um, to meditate with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it is interesting how these little, small, yeah, like when I tap into various people's lives to see what's going on, sometimes there's like four people, but they're just having a great conversation, but it's public. It's so cool. Yeah. I haven't, uh, yeah, I haven't fully explored Instagram live yet. Hmm. I, I don't, I, feel, I always feel like I have less to contribute these days. <laughs> I, I should just like, do Instagram lives with my daughter. She's, she's, yeah, there you go. Oh my God. This is the book. This is the book. Kasim. What is that? It's been teaching me so much. I'm sure you've seen this before. Show your work. No, I've never seen it. It's by Austin Kleon. Uh, I was looking at, because as I've, you know, when you're an artist, 
it's very easy to talk about your life and there's so many pictures being generated, you know, every show we did, there'd be some photographer, he'd send us a load, post one on your Instagram. It's like, yo, it was a crazy night. Thank you, you know, Portland or whatever it was. Uh, but then as you move on from there and we, you know, we go into this sort of entrepreneurial thing, it can be really difficult to know how to share that process because it's not nearly as photogenic. It's like I'd literally be sharing like Zoom screen captures of meetings and stuff yeah. or like me doing email. Um, so this, this book, Show Your Work, was super helpful in allowing me to understand like, oh, okay, there are certain elements of what I'm doing that are actually very valuable and should be shared. Um, yeah, it's helpful. I've been recommending it to, how old are you now, Cousin? 39. 39, yeah. Everyone in our age group who like did not grow up with this idea of cultivating a personal brand as just kind of, you know, something that's a natural part of life. I'm like, I don't want to share all that stuff, but I've started to realize that like, it's not about me. It's about what I've done and what I've experienced and how I can share that with people. Like, that's what it's about. It's like, I got to just get out of the picture here. <laughs> Funny though, because especially if you're engaged in some sort of popular media, uh, there's also kind of a, an image of success that you know mm. is sellable, or one assumes, or one did back in the day, especially in the music industry. Yeah. If you stray from that, you know, then mm -hmm. I guess the bias back of mind was always like, uh, it it will lock you out of opportunity. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting kind of bullshit these days. <laughs> I was chatting with, um, do you know Swish? He's from your part of the world. Or he uh, I think he spoke at an event here once. He's a young uh, entrepreneur, right? Who... Yeah, he, uh, he owns TrueFan and they just bought Social Rank. So they're like, you know, all, all about, um, I guess, like analysis, like analysis of social media stuff. But like influencer um, stuff? It helps influencers like analyze who their most engaged, you know, followers are and it helps them be tactical and building you know, I would say influencers and brands and yeah. creators. Um, so he was, he, you know, he's like classic, he's 22 and, you know, doing, doing great things and his attitude, his approach to sharing. Uh, I also learned a lot. I was on call with him last week and I was just like, yeah, this is the attitude. It's like, not like I'm the fucking best and I'm going to show you like only the best part of my life. It's like, no, I'm just going to like share what I'm going through yeah. with you. People connect with it. And it's funny because like I'm always, especially coming from like a media background, always used to overproducing the mm. output. And like like even if you if you look around, I don't know, I've got things plugged in like this microphone, so I can't really show the laptop around, but like there's like a camera behind this laptop that was supposed to be, you know, what I connected to you with. That's like an HD proper camera that I didn't like do the settings right, so it's not on. And then like we're in a soundproof room with all this extra like lights and shit and it all failed. Right. Like none of it's turned on properly. And, uh, and I was going to have like a camera filming me talking to you and all this shit. Right. And that's the level of production I've been doing stuff with lately. But, uh, yeah. but it's funny cause the, the, the thing is the conversation is what matters. That's the point. Mm -hmm. So as long as that's yeah. captured and people can listen to it, uh, watch yeah. it want. Um, and you see it with, I've seen this as a trend lately. A lot of entrepreneurs doing these like, uh, daily video testimonials like every day they'll record like a one minute thing on linkedin and mm. it's like just saying hey this is what i'm up to this is what i've been working on i hope this comes through this week and it's it's these little snapshots into their life that become so viral um especially in business professional communities where maybe mm -hmm. even older people's suits are like very tapped into the the honesty of it all yeah 
And I've seen that be very successful for a lot of people, even when their companies have had trying times like of late. Right. Um, right. So, so it's true. I think any type of media that you can kind of put out there that's representative and authentic, yeah. will connect with. Yeah. Um, so how, let's, let's talk a little bit about kind of, you know, I know we can write off the year for saying that people won't be legally allowed to gather. Uh, and of course we want to maintain as much uh, distance to ensure Canadian safety as possible. Um, where do you see also impacts on the entertainment industry, particularly in what you do um, in the next few months? What are, what are some of the things that you've seen that will continue on and, and where do you see us exiting from them if they're bad or embracing them if they're good? Yeah, no, I mean, that's the question that everyone's answering. I think that the, you know, probably the, probably the, the industry as a whole, like has no idea what's going to play out. There's a, there's a few kind of depressing things um, that we can be sure of. Uh, one, you know, many artists in Canada can avail of the CERB, which is the $2,000 sort of emergency response benefit because every artist that I know has had all of their gigs canceled. So right. those artists that are, you know, for the 95% of artists that don't have a bunch of money saved up in the bank, this is a trying time. And um, so far, online performances and festivals and stuff are not paying money. I think that's going to change. And I think that there's going to be like a revenue generation model there, but only if you're a certain tier of artists. Like I don't think, you know, what would have been a $500 gig for an average artist, you know, is probably going to be a you know $20 gig now online. So I don't think it's you know, the offers that are going to be made are going to be considerably less at first, I think. Right. Um, but I think one of the scary things, one of the disturbing things is that a lot of the smaller promoters don't have the resources to weather the storm. Um, and so in the States, even like not, not smaller, but just B tier, like they still might have a national presence, um, but like hip hop or, you know, rap promoters or whatever that aren't the live nations and the AEGs, yeah. they don't have like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank to just get them through a tough year. Whereas live nation, AEG and golden voice, I'm not really worried about them. You know, Coachella is still going to be fine regardless of anything. They've got a lot, they've got deep pockets. Um, so I think that's the scary thing is that these folks who are responsible for bringing up people, you know, like, like more specialty markets, like a lot of those promoters and venues are closed already. They just can't, you know, they couldn't even make it a month. Yeah. Like, Everything's like, like week it's to so week tight. Well, yeah. yeah. It's so tight. And I know blueprint who I work with a lot out here, they would be the equivalent of like embrace or something in Toronto. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they laid off a bunch of their staff um, brand live that does like that did Skookum festival and Squamish festival. And uh, a lot of public events in Vancouver, they laid off all of their staff right away because there's just, you know, it's a crazy business. Uh, thankfully, I'm in a festival that gets lots of public su funding support because we are, you know, targeted towards, and a bunch of our programming is free. Um, so a lot of the public funding has been more forgiving. Um, so we're, we're missing out on, you know, a huge amount of revenue this year, but our costs are also quite a bit less because we're not doing a massive 10,000 person festival. Right. So we can sort of, you know, we can weather the storm and we've re we've pivoted to totally focus on this online, you know, sort of experience. Uh, but in terms of what we're going to bring out of this, you know, positives, I think that the online performance thing and the, the Zoom party on the Saturday, Friday night, I think there's going to be elements of that that carry over because I think what I'm seeing already is that people are like, actually, I like it better. 
Yeah. Like, I'm tired like, of Friday, man. I want to stay. Yeah. 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 Like getting, you know, like setting up the zoom or the Twitch or whatever and getting to watch a real show. Cause the, the performance standards are just like increasing every day. People are figuring out the craziest thing to do. And it is very interactive in that you're like typing to the DJ and you're requesting songs and stuff. And in the zoom call, you can see like other rooms of people all over the world. There's an element of that, which I think people are, are falling in love with. And I don't think it's going to go away. Like, I, I don't think we're just going to go straight back to doing everything IRL. I think that like every industry, like all the people who are now working at home and realizing that they don't have to commute for four hours a day are like, I should just work from home. Like, yes, there are challenges, but are the challenges worth four hours of wasted or lost time every day, you know? So I think that there are going to be elements of that which survive, but I think at the same time, it's going to, I mean, music, people are saying that large gatherings, festivals, and venues are going to be, you know, we were the first to suffer and we're going to be the last to recover. And I think there's a lot of truth to that uh, because we can't, you know, even all the artists who are involved in all these online offerings so far everything is free. So there's not really a big revenue generation model there for them. And yeah, you can keep on putting out albums every week on Spotify, but again, you're, so I'm, I, you know, I have a lot of empathy and obviously so many of my friends are artists and I'm just like, you know, these are the people that don't have the security nets. Most artists just, you know, are getting by. And yes. so I worry. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And, you know, the scariest thing to consider, of course, in all of this are the domino effects, the ripple effects, the, you know, if for six months or whatever it is remaining in the year, um, these industries are closed, how will people change their lives, possibly even move away from their artistic pursuits uh, to try and make a living? And then will they come back to them? Uh, mm-hmm. That's a big question. Uh, you know, and also it's about infrastructure as well. Like you mentioned with so many venues being closed. Um, I also mentioned, you know, event space that we own, uh, changing purpose and yeah. maybe never changing back again. Mm. We're going to see this kind of, uh, unfortunate, um, perhaps evolution is one way to look at it. We don't, we don't know it's unfortunate in general, but, uh, there'll be a change in how people come together, uh, from a retail experience, you know, yeah the main street experience. So yeah. Interesting to see how 2021, you know, I guess how people come together for music at that point. It will be very interesting. And I think again, to, to take a positive, I think that disruption is awesome for those on the fringes Mm -hmm. because the industry has been on lock since, you know, what the forties really. Um, And streaming, you know, peer to peer sharing and streaming there was a disruption, a very momentary disruption before the same companies just came in and locked down. And I think that will probably happen with all of these new online experiences. But at the moment, the the majors are so thick and heavy that they haven't been able to like change tack. Mm-hmm. It's going to take them months to do that, to build out the infrastructure that it needs. So all of us like, you know, underdogs who are out there just kind of duking it out in the trenches, there's a moment here. And I think that uh, if you can, stay alive, which in Canada, thankfully we have some stuff that's, you know, available for artists um, and musicians and contractors. Uh, if you can stay alive during this time, this is, this is not a bad time to be strutting your stuff and sharing your work, you know? Yeah, no, it sounds like it, especially as you kind of ponder the technical capabilities of how artists will reach audiences, like you were mentioning with the zoom thing. And, you know, that evolution comes out of the trenches for sure. I think, 
the willingness to use things without questioning, you know, the legal controls and whatnot. Uh, yeah, that's that's where a lot of interesting stuff will come out of. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of anything else that you might want to clue any of our listeners into after the fact uh, to do with music production? I've seen a lot of people kind of live producing music over the internet together in the last few weeks. Are there tools for people to consider that you've seen or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Twitch is the the best for all of this. We jumped into Twitch as soon as COVID happened, like before the self-isolation thing started. Yeah. Um, we got like our whole team schooled with Twitch, bought everybody web cameras um, before they all went out of stock on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, someone was just telling me We're, today they offered to buy one of mine off me. Yeah. We're, we're the reason we were just like order 10 of them, give them to everyone. And so we started live streaming production sessions every night of the week on our Twitch channel, snakes and ladders. Uh, and so I think that that, that's cool. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think coming back to the sharing your work thing, I think that this is a great time to be sharing your process. And, you know, I think Twitch is, is a, is a great platform to use because there is sort of monetization potential it's not as hard to grow on twitch as it is to grow on youtube youtube is so saturated uh it's it's hard to grow on instagram it's hard to grow on facebook i mean unless you're promoting posts and stuff but on twitch it's still you know still kind of like the wild west and no one really knows what the fuck is going on so i think it's great i think using that to share regularly in some capacity is probably a good call as a musician or even as a, a concert promoter you know starting a night on a thursday like every night is the same night these days for people so do it on a Tuesday, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's a 420 party today. Uh, my friends Westwood recordings are holding on, um, on their Twitch and they've teamed up with Shambhala music festival and your EDM, which is like a big, you know, big sort of blog site. And they're doing like a massive Twitch party on Monday afternoon because mm-hmm. you can right now. 